several miles off the main highway, tucked away in a secluded canyon on prime vineyard property, stands a rustic barn that was built many decades before the vines around it were planted. In that barn, a sophisticated broadcast and recording studio has been built. The barn also has a well-hidden root cellar stocked with many of the world's most exceptional wines, only to be shared with guests who secretly come to offer their insights and tell their stories. Guests are sworn to secrecy and are shuttled to the studio aboard a John Deere tractor. Those who cannot make the journey in person are interviewed by satellite hookup, and sometimes the crew simply sneaks away with microphones in hand and interviews guests in barrel rooms, wine cellars, and other magical places. All of this is done like clockwork every single week so that we can bring you another episode of Grape Encounters Radio. Peel me a grape Crush me some ice Skin me a peach Save the fuzz for my pillow And it is time for your weekly Grape Encounter. And I'll tell you what, I have been waiting a very, 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 very long time to get the folks in the studio that are in the studio with me today. Well, let's talk first about the him of this couple that is here. Gary Eberly is one of the truly great icons of the wine industry, and not just on the Central Coast, where he started in 1983 when there really was no wine industry to speak of on the Central Coast of California, and he has been a pioneer in so many different things, but I've gotten to know him in recent years because for some stupid reason, they keep putting me on the same panel with him at wine competitions, and he has brought his lovely partner in crime who is as in Involved in the winery as he is. Marcy is here as well. Anyway, welcome you guys to the Thank studio. You. Thank you, Thanks David. for having us. Gary, it's nice to be sitting across the table from you when we don't have 12 glasses of wine in front of us. Not that that's a bad thing. Yeah, you cut me down to one glass and I'm a little <laughs> upset. I know. You know, it's the worst thing in the world when you run a wine show and you have a wine shop and you bring in a winemaker with the kind of notoriety that you've got. It's like you just go, what am I going to pour him? You have the instinct to reach for the most expensive bottle, but I know from having judged wines with you that it's not about the price. It's about the quality, and quality comes in a lot of different price ranges. I just try to grab something that you would like. That's amazing. So many people equate you know, high price with high quality, and there's so many great wines that are so reasonably priced. Let's just kind of go back to the beginning because your story is so interesting. And it was yesterday that I was at an event. It was a book signing event on the winemakers of Paso Robles. And danged if I didn't flip it open almost immediately to a spread on you. You know, when I read it, I was going, you know, I forget some of these things about you. Let's start with football at Penn State. Well, I grew up in uh, western Pennsylvania, one of the suburbs of Pittsburgh. I was very fortunate because I thought I would graduate from high school, go to work in a steel mill or a foundry. Almost everybody that came out of high school and didn't have the ability, the money to go to college, went into the steel industry. So you didn't have high expectations for yourself? No. You know, it's funny because my first expectation for myself, and someone said, you know, what do you want now that you're going to go to college? And I said, I want a home with carpeted floors and an attached garage. I grew up in a house with painted plywood floors except the kitchen we had. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. 
So how do you get to Penn State then? Because that's a quantum leap from just having the ambition of going to work in the steel mills and having, you know, something other than painted floors. Well, yeah, I was very fortunate. My sophomore, junior years in high school, I got uh, big and fast. And uh, my senior year, I was recruited literally all over the country. I took recruiting trips all over. And I told Joe Paterno I was going to come because I wanted to play for Joe Paterno. And he saw me taking all these trips and he was scared to death. He'd call me. And I said, Joe, look, every time you went on a recruiting trip back then, you'd get there, they'd give you a $20 bill, a t-shirt, a pair of sweatshirts, uh, whatever. And $20 in 1962, when I was graduating from high school, was a big hunk of money. Gasoline was 17 cents, 18 cents a gallon. So, so, but how did you know Joe Paterno? My junior year, I was starting to get some publicity and he came to our high school looking at a senior and looked at some films and said, hey, uh, you know, let's keep in touch and let's see what happens, uh, you know, next year. Maybe we'll be interested in having you come to Penn State. And of course, being from Pittsburgh, you know, Penn State was the team that I rooted for. And then the next year, I got really big, you know, high school All-American, Pennsylvania Big 33 game. State so North. you end up playing football for Penn State, but then something happens. Uh, I got my knee blown out. Ah. Back then, they didn't have the kind of surgery and surgeons that they do today. So it was bad, and it really limited my ability to go forward. I had a real short opportunity with Detroit, but that fell through. So in other words, if this had happened in today's age... You would have played able, pro ball. You would have yeah. played pro football. I think so. <laughs> you played pro winemaking instead. You have a brand. The Everly Winery mm-hmm. is known all over the country, probably all over the world, because you have a lot of acquaintances outside of And we do well. export some wine you into do, Europe. Yeah. So a very, very well-known brand. But anybody that knows the Paso Robles wine region probably doesn't know that you were one of the founders, one of the people who actually wrote the AVA. That, yeah. Were you the first to have Paso Robles as an AVA mm-hmm. on your my, wines? My 1980 Cabernet that I made at the old Estrella River, my first winery when I came out of Davis, I helped build and develop Estrella River, Estrella River Winery, which eventually became Meridian. But when I left there, rather I had a, an equity, most of it sweat equity position, and instead of getting paid in money, I asked to take lots of wine that I had made, and I would pay for the bottling and everything, and put my label on it. Very smart. That's really how I got the money that I needed, along with a mortgage and a lot of partners, to do Everly. But my 80 cab, myself and Tom Martin and Vic Roberts and uh, several other people, Herman Schwartz, we got together and we drew up the Paso Robles AVA. I did the meteorology and the geology and helped drew the boundaries, and we made it as big. We thought we were making it big enough, but we've had to expand it twice since then Wow! because we wanted to include everybody. He included everybody from down to Santa Margarita, <clears throat> which is now Ancient Peak, so that's great that it's covered down there. But then they had to redraw it to include Justin because Justin was the furthest west. And originally it was not included in the AVA. Yeah. So our AVA for Pastor Robles is huge. And I asked Gary, why did you do that? And Gary's like, I was trying to get as many people as I could. We needed everybody in the yeah. AVA. Did you ever expect that it would become a worldwide power? Uh, I've got a pretty good palate. So I, I had a pretty good idea of the quality that was coming out of Paso. And my ego was big enough 
that I said, we keep making wine like this, the world is going to discover us. You know what always cracks me up, Gary, is that the last three outings that I've been on to judge, you have ended up being on the same panel with me, or I've been on the same panel with you. I don't know why they're punishing me like this. I Well, no. You know what they're doing? Because it's very interesting. Have you noticed that it's always you and me and then some folks from Napa and Sonoma, and we have a little bit different palettes than them. So you and I are always like almost spot on. Have you noticed that? Yeah, we tended to judge a lot. Uh, a lot of our scores were very similar. Yeah, and then they're a little different. It depends where you, you know, what you drink and, and where you grow up, I guess. Yeah, and what you're really looking for in a wine. You know, I always find that winemakers tend to have a different uh, scoring system than, let's say, uh, wine writers. Yeah, but we do come out the same place because when all is said and done, a good wine is a good wine. I would agree. Right. What's it like, Marcy, being married to a legend? I mean, he is, right? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I respect him so much, and I, of course, love him so much. He's my husband. But the older I get and the longer that we're together, the more I realize really how much he has done for the wine industry as a whole, the wine industry in California, and, of course, the wine industry in Paso Robles. But, you know, everything about him is about education. He wants just people to learn and understand about wine we're one of the only wineries that gives complimentary tours where people talk about how to make wine. We're not talking about how to make Eberly wine. We're talking about how to make wine in general or grapes in general or the region in general because the whole point is to get people to understand how wine is made and why we enjoy good wines when we do. And the other thing is, is that I can say this with great confidence because I've spent a lot of hours with your husband on the judging yeah. panels, there is no place for pretentiousness in his life. Yeah. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, he's not a wine snob. Oh, he is definitely not a wine snob. It's funny, we have guest suites at our house and people come in and I think they don't know what to expect if they're coming to stay with us, but instead they are greeted always Gary his uniform is the polo shirt and the khaki shorts. We just like to live the life. And I think for both of us, it's about connecting with people. Anyway, people sometimes are surprised. They expect to see us you know, all dressed up or whatever, but instead they just get normal people. And we're really just glorified farmers. You know, almost every winemaker will say that about themselves. And it really is true. Winemakers are tend to be, I think, the nicest people I've ever known, yeah. you know, that come out of the industry because they work hard and it's very humbling. They put their soul into a bottle. We have Absolutely do. Yeah. It's a very social business. business. You'd better be an extrovert if you get into this business (laughs) because hermits don't last long. That is a very good point. Hey, we're talking to Gary and Marcy Eberly. Mm -hmm. Gary, a absolute pioneer in the business. There's so many things that he's contributed to really the national and I think even international wine industry. Just an amazing person to know. I didn't mention this. Amazing wines. Holy smoke. (laughs) I want to get back in just a second, Gary, to your journey, how you left football and got into winemaking because you're not the only one who's done that. Yeah. I can think of at least one mutual acquaintance that you and I have where that is concerned. All right, we're going to be back with more Grape Encounters with Gary and Marcy Eberly in just a second. So, Stay with us. You're having a grape encounter with David Wilson. What a way to spend the day. And now, Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues. Grape Encounters Radio, and 
What a pleasure to be sitting in the studio with Gary and Marcy Everly from the Everly Winery in Paso Robles, California. Not just any winery, by the way, a very historic winery, one of the early entries into the wine world, and certainly Gary has been an influence that has built this region into really a world-renowned force in the wine industry. But Gary, you were playing football. You blow out your knee at Penn State. So how in the world do you wind up getting involved in winery? Why didn't you just go back and work in the steel mills? Well, you know, I had a degree in biology, and I knew that I could still go on. But anyway, I applied to a couple of graduate schools because I thought, you know, Sea Hunt was popular at that time with Lloyd Bridges. And I thought, <laughs> okay, well, okay. I want to be a marine biologist. So I applied to several of the schools that had marine programs, and LSU accepted me. But there, when I got there, their marine program was primarily engineering for oil rigs and things offshore, and that wasn't what I wanted. So I wound up getting a degree in vertebrate zoology. and uh, In what? Animals with backbones. <laughs> I was a zoologist. When I was a kid, I was in the swamps. I was collecting snakes and frogs and turtles and critters. Oh, my and gosh. And I just liked critters. So. Okay, I thought I was asking a difficult question as to why you went from football to winemaking. And now it turns out you've gone from zoology to winemaking, which is maybe even a little weirder. Yeah. And then after my master's, I went down to Charity Hospital, which was LSUNO, the med school. And I started a doctorate in cellular genetics. And I was teaching or lab assistant in the histology labs with the pre-med students. And I published some papers and I did a lot of stuff down there. And one of my professors, he and I both loved opera. I started collecting classical albums when I was in eighth grade. And by the time I went to uh, New Orleans, I had quite a collection. And one of my professors, he and I both loved opera. So well, once a month, once every six weeks, the wives would uh, cook a dinner, either at his house or my apartment, and then they'd go to wherever the Chippendales were dancing, and he and I would take a couple <laughs> bottles of wine and listen to an opera. This story's getting weirder by the second. Okay. Well, okay. when he came yeah. to my place, okay. I would serve him the finest wines of the time, Matus, Lancers. Oh. Blue none. Because <laughs> yeah. in 1970, if you didn't have an empty bottle of Matus on your dining room table with a candle in it, <laughs> you were living in a single wide. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. And we'd go to his place, and he would serve me these god-awful things like 66 Chateau Latour and Margot's and lunch, bag, lunch bags and Bechevel, whatever. And suddenly or somewhere, I just had this epiphany. And I said, you know what? I don't want to be a geneticist. And I was a national—I was one of like 160 national science fellows at this time. Wow. Wow. And I said, I don't want to be a geneticist. I want to be an alcoholic. So <laughs> oh, no. I took my uh, transcripts and everything out to Professor Berg, who was head of the department at UC Davis at that time. And I said, I want to become a winemaker. And he said, well, why don't you stay and finish your doctorate? And I said, I'm not going to do it. It's wasted time. I'm going to be a winemaker in California. Wow. And he looked at my grades, the things that he said, well, you're obviously qualified to do doctoral work. And he accepted me, and he was the head of my committee, into a doctoral program at UC Davis in wow. fermentation science. And I came out in May of 73. I was about the nine months short of finishing my dissertation, but I completed all my coursework, and I figured I would do, because I was building the Estrella Winery, I figured I'd put a great lab in. I figured I'd just finish my doctorate, my research at Estrella, and uh, I was about eight, nine months away from finishing and doing the research, but I'm still, as of now, about four months away from finishing it. 44 years later. Are you going to finish it? No. I just thought it <laughs> You I, only well, have seven years. I thought that was going to be... Uh, oh, okay. Well, I didn't really think about that. Gosh, you know what's so amazing about that story is you had so much invested in that first career that you were headed toward, and you 
you were willing to literally push all of that aside and not start over, but, you know, you had to take some steps backwards for I, sure. I fell in love with the science and the art and the romance of wine. I mean, so you, I follow, was, you just followed your heart. Yeah. I mean, amazing. it never occurred to me. In fact, it has never occurred to me. I can't remember when the last time I thought I would fail at something I set out to do. I just want to do this and I go and I do it and you know, I it, do what is necessary to make it happen. Isn't that amazing? And I was just saying this to somebody the other day that you have to be in a success mentality to be successful. Yeah. If you're worried all the time that you're going to fail, guess what? You're going to fail. Self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. for certain. Yeah, really, really, that's so interesting to me. And a lot of people, you know, more and more, I think, are just walking away from other careers to get into winemaking. And look at me. I was in the marketing business for my whole life. And I sold, you know, advertising and created commercials. And I can't tell you how many commercials and how much television work I did, but it was to sell somebody's product that I didn't really want to sell. And got into this, and I'm doing exactly what I want to do. I get to talk to people like you all the time. Well, Gary was at Estrella. He was the fourth winery, I believe, in Paso Robles, fifth winery. But he was the very first to actually sell wine internationally. So nobody else, everybody else, you just brought your jug to the winery and filled up whatever your wine was that you wanted, mostly Zinfandel back in that day. But Gary was the first person to actually buy a plane, get his pilot's license, and then fly himself all over the country and then later get businesses and distributors, you know, in other countries. All right. So I wanted to mention something. Marcy and I are, and Gary, you're involved in this too, but Marcy. Marcy and I connected recently about an event that's going to be going on in Paso Rebels yes. that we're getting involved in together. It's my first year with it. I'm really excited. I'm so glad. It's the winemaker's cook-off. This is interesting because I love the fact that every time I talk to a winemaker about whether or not they're a good cook, they always are, right? Yes. And this is an event that really focuses on that interesting factoid. There are judges and there are people who will vote on whether or not you're good, but it's all about combining the food with the wine or in this case also because we have breweries so food and the beer it's very competitive nobody gives out their secret of what they're making each year and you just show up with your grill and cook your heart out and serve lots of wine to lots of people but it's called the winemakers cook-off and as i understand it a lot of the winemakers will actually be cooking right or if there's a chef at the winery right yes Mm. and that's a big trend right now by the way Mm. wineries have chefs. People want food when they're out having wine. So I understand that. And what we're hoping for is a winemaker or a winery owner to be at the site. So you can't just send somebody to represent you. You have to be there. You have to own it. You have to cook it and hopefully make it good enough to get a prize. This is a monster size event. It's huge. Yeah. We're expecting about 2,000 people. Yeah. And this is an event, as I understand it, a lot of people come from out of state to go to this event. You know, there's an event and then there's an event. Yes. And this is an event. It's the Past Rebels Rotary Club puts it on. So there's no skimming. Everybody that works on this is volunteers. I started it in 99 when I was president of the Past Rebels Rotary oh, Club. Oh, wait a second. What? You started this event. Well, hey, you know, I Holy just smoke. assume because right. I'm so cute that you would know these things. 
I thought that you were just spending most of your time looking in the mirror. Gary. No, 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 no. I, I <laughs> okay. started this because uh, the Rotary Club, when I was in, this was in the 80s, 90s, I joined Rotary in 73 when I came out of Davis. Right, right. I feel this is going to be a longer story than we have time for right this second. So hold the thought. Cool. I want to talk to you about cooking as well. All right. We're going to be back with more Grape Encounters in just a second. Very special guests, you know, in recent years become really good friends as well. And I so appreciate and he really certainly is one of the people that I look up to so much in this business, Gary Eberly, and his partner in crime who does so much as well for the brand to make it just a world-class brand. Marcy, they're here with us in the Grape Encounter studio. We're drinking wine and having a good time. We'll be back in just a second. Connecting winemakers, wine lovers, wine adventures, and all things wine from around the globe. You are listening to Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson. This segment of Grape Encounters is brought to you by my number one wine discovery of 2016, the awesome gold medal winning wines of the Cardello Winery. From the very first sip, you'll understand why these astounding, nicely priced Cardello wines are swiftly becoming a cult classic, just as I predicted. Handcrafted and stunning, you can get yours at CardelloWinery.com. That's CardelloWinery.com. Or find more information at GrapeEncounters.com. Now back to Grape Encounters with David Wilson. A bottle of red, a bottle of white. It all depends upon your appetite. You anytime you want in our Italian restaurant. Back with Grape Encounters Radio, and we have during the break grabbed yet another bottle of wine. Gary Eberly thinks the wine has got something called Mega Purple in it. I don't think so. This wine is from a really credible winemaker. Gary, you sure? I'm you just... know these guys, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's a I beautiful just... Merlot. When I get a red wine, particularly 14, it's a couple of years old now, that stains the glass and it is absolutely opaque, I think Mega Purple. Explain to people what Mega Purple is. I think we've talked it, about it, it before. It's a but... concentrate of one of the Tenturier grapes, usually Ruby Red or Royalty. Or Alicante have, Boucher, isn't that one of them? That Alicante they... Boucher, but Ruby Red and Royalty are the main ones. And they have their three grapes, three or four grapes, that have red juice. Most red grapes have white juice, just like white in the color of gotcha. the skin. The Tenturier, which is French for the dyer grapes, have red juice also. So they have very intense color. One percent. And... You can turn a red wine from kind of light luncheon-style, uh, bistro-style red to a big, beautiful, dark red-purple-blue beast. Well, this is a fruit bomb. That's for it sure. It is. It is. But it's, it's pretty it, yummy on a hot day like today, isn't it? In fact, in the mouth, I said it is so bright. It's like good Zinfandel. It's very bright in the mouth. You know, Marcy, let's do this. You're sitting next to him. Just take that glass away from him because I don't want to serve Gary anything that's not perfect. I that. would say, David, he's going to drink that and then he'll drink mine too. <laughs> I'm going to finish the bottle, damn it. What do you think I came here for? Okay. All right. Hey, we were talking in the last segment about this winemaker's cook-off that's going on in Paso Robles, put on by the Paso Robles Rotary. I had no idea you had founded this event, Gary. Founded it 
it when I was president in 1999, and I did it because because we, of that song. We're going to party like it's 1999. <laughs> no, because I was embarrassed that the Pastoral Rotary Club was only doing six thousand dollars a year in scholarships, and I founded it. And I said we will do this event because you know every winery is asked to donate wines to so many different uh, charities and events. Oh, I wanted to create something that would give back to our community and something that the winemakers could contribute. And I originally set it up so that we were giving $50,000 a year in scholarship, which is what we're doing now. And we are now at the point where I think this year or next year, we're going to do 65000 in scholarships to the Pass Rebels High School graduating seniors. And I think the Rotary Club in three, four years, very short time is going to be in a position where we can donate $100,000. You know, I say, let's do, a, let's do $100,000 year. Let's just do that. We got a lot of listeners that are going to be coming to this event. I'm going to be there. Guess what? I'm like the grand marshal of the event. They called me the ambassador of the event. It's perfect. I'm just going to be broadcasting from there. I'm going to be the ambassador. I'm very excited. I think it means that they'll bring the food to me, which is really good if you don't have to wait in lines, right? (laughs) That's true. Anyway, I'm really super excited about this. Well, you know, I'm going to have to put you on my judges list for the future. I don't know. Why not? My Grape Encounters audience doesn't really know that I host a daily food show, but it's just in our local market. Mm -hmm. But anyway, that event is August 12th. So if you want to come and it's really worth coming, what I would say, no matter where you are in the U.S., Come out to the event. This is going to be a great event. You get your tickets online. They're just like 85 bucks, And you can order online at winemakerscookoff.com. Winemakerscookoff.com. Mm-hmm. You come out here. You go to the event. Spend a couple of days touring, wine tasting, going to the Eberly Winery and sitting down with Gary. If somebody comes out to Eberly and they say they heard you on the air, will you sit and talk to them? I am sitting every afternoon unless something really weird is going on. I try to be out in the chair in front of my winery with a glass of wine greeting people. And I'm there seven days a week. I Love it. I mean, I'm in this business because I love it. I've never done, like I said, except go to school. You know, so many people ask me, why did you spend 11 years in college? And I said, well, that was easy then because that's where they kept the cheerleaders. <laughs> I got out and I love, I mean, I cannot stay home. I mean, Marcy it's will true, tell you. both of us. You don't let him chase cheerleaders now, do you? No, no, no. no. I, I can't but... chase anything now. <laughs> <laughs> We'll be at home and just staring at each other, and we live on the property. Just and staring we just at say, each other. How lovely. How romantic yeah, is that? Great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can be talking, whatever, but we have so much more fun. Our employees at the winery are our family. Everybody who comes to our winery are our guests, and so we just love being there. So I want to talk in a few minutes about your winery. You guys went through some very difficult times that should never have happened to anybody, but it did happen to you. But before we talk about that, I want to talk about something that Gary did that is very important to us wine lovers around the country, around the world. You were the first person to plant a Strictly Syrah vineyard in the United States? Yeah, I planted the first 100% varietal Syrah vineyard with a known clone, clean grapes in the United States. And I sold Randall Graham and Bob Lindquist and Steve Edmonds uh, their first Syrah grapes. In fact, our Steinbeck vineyard is now the second oldest as a vineyard I planted 1980. The oldest continuously planted Syrah vineyard in, I believe, is the Bear Vineyard down at Zacamesa that I planted in 78, and it's also unrooted. But you are a dyed-in-the-wool Cabernet guy. 
Cabernet. I what like did, Syrah. What did you, I love what did you see in Syrah? Because they're very different. Well, when I was at Davis, one of the master students was Brian Crozier, who was decanters a winemaker of the year about five, six years ago. He's an Australian. And he had got his degree and worked at Hardy's in Australia. And he came to Davis to get his advanced degree. And he brought a whole bunch of Shiraz. You know, those uh, felons didn't know how to spell. Right. And uh, Shiraz, <laughs> Cabernet blends. And none of us were really interested because it was was a grape that was not, I mean, we knew what it was, but it wasn't, you know, something that was available. But I drank so damn much of it with Brian that I got to the point, I said, you know, this really is kind of a nice wine. And then I started going over to what I called UC Davis East, which was Daryl Cordy's store over at the corner of Freeport and Fruit Ridge up in Sacramento. Explain who that is. Oh, Daryl Cordy is uh, the, certainly in the state of California, the most, is the encyclopedia of wines from Europe, particularly France, Italy, Spain. I mean, he is just a walking encyclopedia. One of the best wine personalities and wine judges and wine promoters in the United States. But I used to call it UC Davis East. And he would open up bottles of Hermitages and Rhone, um, and Mid-Rhone and Northern Rhone Syrahs. And I would go to Doc Omo and I'd say, why aren't we doing Syrah? And all my professors would just sort of shrug their shoulders. And for some reason, you know, we've got everything else, but we didn't have Syrah. So thanks to Doc Omo, I was able to get a Chaputier clone from Max Chaputier from the vineyards above the town of Tain in Hermitage and had it propagated by Doug Meter up in Greenfield and I planted the first vineyard in 75. Absolutely so amazing. See, I'm not just another pretty face. No, you're not a pretty face. No, I mean, oh no, of course you're a pretty face. But I wonder this, and I guess I've asked this question a lot of times to people who have been really legends, have become legends in the wine industry. You know, people who have founded things and spearheaded things and, you know, one things and it seems like you never know how significant what you're doing is when you're doing it and then you look back 30 years ago or 40 years ago and you go, oh my gosh, that was very significant. Do you have that same epiphany from time to time? I am stunned when people, you know, now I get because I was in a driving force and creating Paso Robles Appalachian and I'm going, well, I didn't do it to create Paso Robles Appalachian but I knew that Eberly Winery was not going to succeed if Paso Robles didn't succeed. So, I mean, it wasn't just a matter, when I went out, I was promoting Eberly and Paso Robles because they both had to succeed for Eberly to succeed. I mean, it was a co-synergy there that had to work with the Syrah. Boy, at the time, it just didn't seem like it was that big a deal. It was a grape and a wine that I loved. And, you know, I've got this bad habit of drinking a wine that I really like. And I say, oh, my God, I got to make that wine, Barbera. I mean, I've been making Barbera since 78. I love it. You know what, by uh, the so way, I'm going to do this after we finish the show and we get off the air. I've got a Barbera. I'm dying for you to try. It's going to rock you. Is it but, uh, up in the foothills or is I'm it a... not going to tell you. I'm okay. just going to pour it for you and you're going to taste it. You're going to tell me what you think and okay. we're going to move on from there. All right. We got to take a little break here. We are talking to Gary and Marcy Eberly. Marcy, you came into the game a little bit later, 16 yep. years ago, right? 16 years ago. You have been an inspiration to Gary and especially oh. you guys went through some really rough times here a few years yes, ago. And I'm imagining had it not been for you, Gary would have hung himself from the highest tree or something. They were tough times. Or I at least he, he would have drank himself silly on cheap wine. He absolutely <laughs> We would have done that. <laughs> yeah. All right. We're going to come back with Grape Encounters in just a second as we spend a little more intimate time with Gary and Marcy Eberly. And you can get their wines all over the country. Just, you know what? Just go online, buy them online. That's what you do. You will love these wines. We'll be back with more Grape Encounters after this. 
unpretentious, unconventional, and uncorked. This is Grape Encounters Radio. And now, Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues, broadcasting from our wine cellar studio in idyllic Atascadero, centrally located in the Central Coast wine country of San Luis Obispo County, California. I will tell you what, there is nothing that I enjoy more than sitting down with the great storytellers of the wine business. And, you know, the people who were there 40 years ago here in America, they have got some history under their belt and stories to tell. And nobody has more stories than Gary Eberly. And he has brought his partner, I mean, partner in a number of different ways, Marcian. Thank you. Who, you know, you're making your own history with other projects, but you're very involved in the winery, right, Marcian? And, and then that's a huge part of your life. And then other things as well. Like- well, I'm there seven days a week. So people sometimes ask me, do you work here? <laughs> I'm, yeah. yeah. I'm the PR director, marketing. We travel a lot to sell wine. And then, of course, I'm on different boards, you know, in our community and that kind of a thing. But my focus is the winery and also keeping the big man in line. Yeah. He's larger than life. He is. How does that work in your marriage when you have such an imposing figure, and I mean imposing from the standpoint of just how much he's been through and how deeply respected he is in the industry, yes. you're a more laid-back, behind-the-scenes person, right? Well, I would say that, you know, Gary was not used to hearing the word no before he met me. <laughs> and you know what? That's what I think made him fall in love with me. I definitely have my own brain. Because you were telling him no. Yeah. I'm a smart woman, and I know it, and I'm good at business, and I know it, and I used to be in television, and I love talking, and I love writing and reporting. And so he came up against a pretty strong woman. You were an anchor, weren't you? Yes, I was. Um, I, yeah, I forgot to mention that, too. NBC yeah. and then CBS. Wow. But anyway, yeah, at the winery, what we have kind of figured out a way of doing over these 16 years is Gary is the boss at the winery. So I just ignore him or roll my eyes or agree or do what he says. But at home, I'm the boss. So we each have our own roles that we play, but we never talk business at home. Is that right? Really? Never. Because then you're just going to get upset about something. It's just, it's not good for marriage. So when we're at work, we're a working couple. When we're at home, mom's in charge, and uh, he does what I say. That seems like a fair deal. You guys went through a horrible time a few years ago that lasted quite a while, actually. And I remember sitting with you at a wine pickup party where Gary, he was just brokenhearted, as you were, because somebody else was kind of running the show at that point in time and doing things that you would never do. It Can you does. talk about that? Well, yeah, we don't have I a mean, lot of time, but I certainly want to mention it because it's been in the news a lot. Yeah. My half-brother, Jim Jacobin, one of the three mentors I've had in my life, 25 years my senior, and he and I, between us, had 78% ownership of the winery. And we traveled together. I would drag him all over the country because I hated to travel by myself because I fly my own plane around and, you know, always promoting the wine and pastorables. And a few years ago, he was put into an Alzheimer's care home legitimately. Jim at 95 had, uh, for such a great guy, such a dynamic guy, it was really a 
ashamed to see what happened. But anyway, I thought I had this great relationship with my sister-in-law. It never occurred to me that we would never. I mean, it was just something we were always together. It was cool. I guess she was unhappy. And when she got control of my brother's shares, I think 42 of them, I had 35 and a half. Yeah, we had about 78%. And she got together with two brothers that had 13, which was enough to give them control of the winery. And they came in one day, literally just walked in. I'm in my office and there's the three principals and two people I've never seen in my life. And I'm introduced to one who's Jeffrey from a law firm in San Francisco. Everybody else sat down. They said, these people and your sister-in-law have uh, combined their shares and they have over 50% and they've just voted you out of your own winery. Oh my gosh. Now, I still own 35.5%. It's my winery. That year, in 2013, because this was happening January 14th of 14, we had done 14.1% return on investment in an industry that prides itself yeah, on breaking v- even. Very solid number. Yeah. yeah. I'll bet there aren't 25% of the wineries make money, about 25% break even and half lose money. We were doing well. And they thought if this dumb idiot ex-football player can make 14%, we can make 20 and they took it over. And for 18 months, I watched my winery. And I'm there every day because my entire net worth is tied up in this winery. I own 35, almost 36%. I mean, I watched the dumb, stupid decisions, decisions that they were making. See, it was like, you know, I can't believe this. People I mean, they who were, have no idea what they're doing. No. No, he was nothing, not, no knowledge in wine whatsoever. No. And they're suddenly telling somebody like you who is just one of the most important figures in California winemaking in the country what to do they're telling you what to do that had to hurt like the dickens i was not allowed to speak to employees other than you know hello how are you they said you can stay around as a figurehead and that was it my title went to founder. I wasn't even oh my gosh. anything. And uh, gosh. people were leaving us. Our wine club went from, you know, 4,000 to 1,200. I mean, oh, my was, gosh. And I'm there begging them, don't quit. <laughs> I need to save this place. I, I mean, don't quit. So I'll get it back. And I'm sorry, we only have like a minute left. But in a nutshell, how did you get it back? Uh, what happened? Tom Madden, a lawyer in Paso Rebels, and uh, Stacy Holmes, a banker for Bank of the West got together with me, with the help of Marcy, uh, with the understanding of Marcy and everything. I mean, I'm not a great fan of bankers, but I mean, I'll carry Tom Madden around on my shoulders. Without those two people, I would not own Everly Winery again. They made it happen. We did all kinds of things, and it got to the point where these people suddenly recognized that they're losing money, and they're losing money hand over fist, and they got to sell it, and they wanted to sell it originally. In fact, they told me I would never own that winery again, they were going to sell it to somebody else, but there were clauses in the original partnership. Vindictive for no good reason. these are people that were friends. People you broke bread with. Yeah. Yes, it was so sad, but I got it back. We're making money again, and we are in great shape. And life Uh, is good. And we're happy. Life is better than good. I can see it in your face, and i got to wrap this up really quick, but we're going to all be together at an event that Gary founded, the Winemakers Cook-Off in Paso Rebels. It's put on by the Paso Rebels Rotary, and Marcy's really deeply involved in this event as well. I'm having fun working with her on it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Food, wine, live music, lots and lots of great winemakers there and chefs there in August, August 12th. If you want more information, go to winemakerscookoff.com. You can get your tickets there online. You know what? If you contact me through grapeencounters.com, 
I would be more than happy to help you put together your trip here. You guys, thank you for being here. Thanks, David. Good day, Super fun. Got to get you back on like in a couple of months here at least because you've got a few more stories to tell. I like, think that's absolutely I'm just true. just getting started. <laughs> We're going to be back with more Grape Encounters next week. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. We will be right here on this awesome radio station next week at exactly the same time. We'll see you then. You never know what part of the country or the world the Grape Encounters microphones will take you to. Don't miss a single experience. Your Grape Encounter isn't over. We're just taking a breather until next week's edition. 